Hi, my name is Carolee Graves, and I am here to speak to you about uh, encounters with Jesus and what I have experienced um, in my life. Um, to give you a little bit of a backstory, I have two siblings, and we are all PKs, so we are preacher's kids. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, um, was baptized when I was 12, um, have always loved the Lord, and uh, even though sometimes I strayed from Him, different t stages of my life, uh, looking back that I know that He has always been with me. Um, I have been married to my husband, and I have two daughters, Jamie and Caitlin, and um, as we know in our life that God, um, story is not always what we think our story should be, right? So always, every year got uh, all of my preventative care taken care of, um, doctor's appointments, I was on a routine basis, um, never had really any major trials in my life until last November. Um, November 4th, 2021, I went in for a routine mammogram and it showed that I had um, a significant tumor that needed to be looked at. And so, um, of course, when you get that um, kind of message from your doctor, your life kind of goes into a whirlwind and um, you get a ton of phone calls from different doctors and um, trying to figure out what type of appointments that you need to do and scans and um, biopsies and so on. And so I um, started that path and um, I was blessed with a sister who was a nurse who referred me right away to the right breast surgeon and the right doctors. And um, so I started that path and I knew right then and there that those doctors uh, the way they called me personally on my on cell phone um, and treated me and um, how they just cared for me. I knew that I was, well, I was just really at peace with my doctors and I couldn't have asked for, um, for better. Um, and so um, as I started into that, I was um, diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, AKA, um, metastasized breast cancer. After I was diagnosed and started into the appointments, the first thing kind of God spoke to me about uh, was um, the book Isaiah. It just, he just came to me one morning. He said, Isaiah. I said, okay, Lord. Um, so I knew I had to dive in um, to the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to read a scripture to you um, that has spoke to me um, in many different ways. Throughout my journey, it's Isaiah 40, 28, 31. I'm not always very good with memorizing verses, but here it goes. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will, grow, will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So through this journey, let me tell you a little bit about my Jesus. Uh, my Jesus has been in the faces 
of my prayer warriors, text messages, gifts, cards, meals, my warrior song prayer playlist, my medical staff, my doctors, my Bible app, scriptures that are posted, and just reading the word. My Jesus has walked with me every day throughout my journey. There is nothing that our God cannot do that I believe in him yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I had another really interesting um, encounter as well. Um, I was uh, with Jesus when I was on my way home with my daughter Jamie and our foreign exchange student Bella. And we were driving um, to our home across the reservoir on 500 East. And my daughter hollered out and she said, Mom, Mom, she's like, stop, stop the car uh, right on the bridge. And she said, look, there's an eagle in the middle of winter. And there was the eagle from my Isaiah verse. And um, so we stopped, of course, had to take pictures, had to prove it. Um, but um, anyways, it, it just, it brought me to tears and I said, okay, Lord, um, you know, I knew you were always there with me, but this encounter, um, it just, just solidified it. So my girls asked me later on that evening about, you know, I was telling the rest of my family about this and they were asking me, you know, how do you know when God is present? And I told them that we have to slow our lives down to look and listen to our hearts and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and decipher those thoughts in our heads to truly know what and how God is speaking to you. We get so busy with earthly activities, technology, anything really, that we forget to sometimes seek and listen to Him. Um, my cancer journey has really taught me to, to stop and listen. I have really felt so much peace through my journey. No matter what I was doing, just driving by myself or alone at home, I always knew I had Jesus right beside me. I've talked to him a lot and it is so comforting that I don't ever feel lonely. I've also learned that God gives us the strength to endure the trials we go through and he is the only one that can give you true peace. And John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so I'll leave you with this. Like the Torrin Wells song says, Hills and valleys. I know I was in a valley, but I turned around and I'm climbing back up that mountain. And the words state, on the mountains I will bow my life to the one who set me there. In the valley I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley, I know I am not alone. You're the God of the hills and the valleys, and I am not alone. We are not alone. Everybody has a story. Everybody's story matters to God. And everybody who encounters Jesus <clears throat> can be changed for the better. Uh, 
Carly, we appreciate you sharing your story. Um, I, I got to watch the, the video a couple times beforehand, and um, I, I love that story of the eagle. Um, there's something so um, beautiful and kind uh, about God and his goodness that, that oftentimes when we seek him, uh, he will show up and, and we will find him. Um, that when we're looking for signs, if we actually slow down and open our eyes, we will see it. One of the things I love about her story is, um, is the realness of the fact that um, regardless of, of, of where our relationship with Jesus is, um, life uh, is tough. As the uh, older brother and prophet in the, mo- in the show, um, Boy Meets World, Eric would say, life's tough, get a helmet. It's true. Every single one of us run into problems, puzzles, and pain in our lives. None of us are immune from dealing with things that we weren't expecting. And oftentimes there are things that we did nothing to deserve that just sort of happen. And there are things where we did create the chaos. And regardless, in the midst of it all, the only way to find true peace is to experience God's presence, uh, which brings a peace that transcends the understanding in the circumstances of our story. We've been walking through this series called Encounters with Jesus, where we have been looking at different uh, encounters uh, in Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, which are the stories of Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. And we've been looking at how Jesus interacts with different people, yet his grace and his mercy and his peace is the same across all boards. Last week, we talked about shame, and we, in particular, looked at some wild women who had some different types of shame uh, in which God met them exactly where they were in it. This morning, we're going to talk about doubters and seekers. If you are living and breathing, at some point in life, you have had questions. You have had doubts. At some point in life, you have been an annoying child who has went through the phase of why. We've been there before, right? I'm glad my boys, I think, are close to being out of it now. Why is the sky blue? I don't know. Why is this? Every, to the point where, where we, we, understand, um, we understand why uh, parents sometimes just need, they play the quiet game, right? Let's, let's see who can win the quiet game, right? We just need a little peace. But it's because we are inquisitive people. We're inquisitive people. It's interesting, too, how much uh, we don't always like questions ourselves, and yet Jesus arguably asked as many questions as he gave answers to. But we all, at some point in our life, go through moments of questioning, in in particular with our faith. We question, who is God? We question, um, who are we because of God? We question God's motives. We have those moments where we sit and we say, Man, I was here with you until this moment, but I, why, why did this happen to this person at this time? And every single one of us have to come to a place of what do we do with our doubts? Doubt, simply put, is just sort of a, a feeling of uncertainty. And like I said, sometimes our doubts are big things like, you know, who is God? Other times uh, our, our, our doubts are things like, is this chicken fully cooked? Will this chair hold me? Should I jump from this high roof? Probably not, but we're still here and alive, right? 
all of us deal with these doubts. And one of the things that I think is really difficult when it comes to this idea of doubts in faith and Christianity and Jesus is the fact that many of us are obsessed with answers to questions that sometimes either do not really matter or to things that we will not be able to fully know. And we're seeing an epidemic of people, in particular young people, who leave the faith. And there is a variety of reasons why. Um, I, I saw a statistic that said about uh, nearly 60% of people who are raised in the church when they leave high school, go through a, a period that we might uh, refer to sometimes as deconstruction, which is a word in itself that um, many people have many feelings and thoughts on. Uh, essentially, the idea of deconstruction is, is, is think about what construction is. You build something, and deconstruction is maybe taking things apart. Now, there's, there's some people who believe that all deconstruction leads to demolition. It's just going all down. And some would say it's, it's the true way towards faith. You have to do it. And the truth be told is I, I personally land in somewhere where I think uh, when people go through a season of doubt or if you want to use the term deconstruction, uh, I don't think it should be something that should be celebrated as this great victory or uh, believed that it is the, the demise and the death of their faith. But one thing I've experienced um, talking to peers when I used to be a youth pastor, is that many people whom leave the faith, it's not the kids who you assume um, were already asking all the questions. More often than not, it's the ones who I knew who asked very little during their time of growing up. They assumed everything, they didn't ask questions, they did not work out faith for themselves. And when they got out into life in the real world, they began to ask questions or they began hearing other people ask questions. And the hard part is sometimes people believe that everything is sort of an all or nothing. Some people grew up in places that they believed or they heard that if you ask any question or you doubt any sort of thing, that it means you've abandoned your faith. You know, I love this quote from a guy named um, A.J. Swoboda, who is, is both a professor and a pastor, and he wrote a book called Life After Doubt. And he, he says this, we, oft, we too often assume that doubts, questions, and critiques of one owns, one own, one's own faith are the same as losing it. He uses the analogy of just because you kick the tires doesn't mean that you want to get rid of the car. That in many ways, there's actually a really healthy manner for people where in some ways I dream of the church being a place where people can come with questions, great legitimate questions, even dumb questions. Because let's be honest, our teachers lied when they said there's no such thing as a dumb question. I put them to the test a lot. But what's interesting is the posture of the church with questions oftentimes has not matched up with what we see Jesus, uh, his response to people asking questions in the New Testament. This morning, we're going to look at two, um, two stories uh, of, of two guys who, who wrestled with some doubts and some questions and things like that. But, I, but again, just want to make it clear up front that, that dealing with doubt is, is both healthy and necessary. I think oftentimes the unresolved doubts and questions are what ultimately leads to people leaving faith. Uh, but I also think we need to view doubt uh, as an opportunity to deepen faith, not as the death of faith. 
that oftentimes when we have these questions that arise, we must deal with them in a healthy manner. In fact, more often than not, if someone has brought to you a sense of doubt, if you have a child, a grandchild who, who brings a sense of doubt, it is a beautiful invitation to walk with them through this. Rather than telling them, <gasps> to walk through it with them. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be hanging out in the Gospel of John, and I promise I'll be brief this morning. But we're going to look at two stories. One is the story of a man named Nicodemus, which is a great name. I know Nicholas is great. There's a lot of versions of Nick. I do not know why more people have not named their child Nicodemus. That's a, besides the point. We're going to look at Nicodemus, and we're going to look at a man named Thomas or Didymus, which I kind of understand why he goes more by Thomas than Didymus. But anyways, uh, we're going to start first with Nicodemus. Uh, this is uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and it says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with you. Now, let's pause here in the story. Sometimes uh, Nicodemus is known as Nick at Night, which is great for me because as a kid, I rem anyone remember Nick at Night, the Nickelodeon? Yeah. Um, a lot of people have these questions. So Pharisees, typically when we hear Pharisees, they're these uber-powerful people who their job, Pharisee actually means to kind of be removed from, and uh, their job was in a lot of ways to be the people who would study what we would see now as the, the, the Old Testament. And they would study the Old Testament, and they would like look at all the words, and they would try to interpret and, and sort of set the laws of land based off how they interpreted the scriptures. So Nicodemus is, is a person who, honestly, scholars would say there's usually only like a hundred so of the Pharisees. So he's kind of like, it's like being the green berets of theologians in some ways. And so Nicodemus has this great thing. And a lot of people question, there, there, there's this question mark about why did he come at night? Some would say uh, that he came at night because he didn't want to be seen. That if he kind of comes in the secret of night, uh, his Pharisee friends aren't going to question, question him for going, you know, to see the, you know, homeless former carpenter turned rabbi guy uh, who's spouting off some interesting things to them at the time. Others would say that actually he would have went at night because it was common for a rabbi or a teacher like Jesus, who Jesus was, uh, that that would have been sort of the prime time where they wouldn't have a bunch of people crowding around them. They'd be studying. So he, you know, may, maybe it was the idea that he came because he wanted to get him at like his brain power capacity when no one else is around and he can ask these big, deep questions. Regardless, it doesn't exactly matter. We just know that it's interesting that this person who comes from a group who would normally say they have all the answers, it's interesting that he decides to come to a person whom none of the rest of them would have wanted to come to and ask some questions. And this is how it plays out. He's, he wants to tell them, hey, I don't really know who you are, but I know it seems like some, you're on to something good. It says this, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, it's interesting. This isn't a question that Nicodemus asked. This is just an answer that's freely given. And so Nicodemus, though, engages in the conversation. He says, how can someone be born again when they are old? Now, Nicodemus obviously is one of our literal friends. He's literally like trying to picture like a person going back into, yeah, you get the picture. He's like, this doesn't, huh? He says, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. Now what Nicodemus had came there for was likely to get an idea of like, who are you? Maybe he did have some questions. But Jesus began to meet him exactly where he was and do what he does for many of us. I have found moments in my life where I have gone to God with a specific question. And do you know what he's done? Oftentimes he answered a question that is more important than probably the one that I had. There's been times where I have had a specific question about something. And in some ways, God says, let me answer a question that maybe is a better question that you're not asking. And so when he finds Nicodemus, Nicodemus is probably coming wanting to experience and share knowledge. But instead, what Jesus wants him to understand is that God wants to meet him in a radical way to give him new life. And to have new life means that you have to be born again. You can't continue in life. You must begin a new life. And it's not going to be through knowledge or power or prestige, but it's going to be through humility and grace and love. And so this exchange goes on. It says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. This is Jesus The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe me. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Nicodemus gets more than what he bargained for when he went to Jesus. He went probably with his own list of questions and motives. And yet what he got instead is what he needed. And sometimes the painful truth is sometimes when I go to God with what I want, that jerk gives me what I need. Sorry for calling you a jerk. But sometimes there are moments where it's like, no, 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 I wanted to ask you this, that, and the other. And sometimes God just says, hey, have you realized really what you, what you actually want, what you actually need is just me? Because one of the things I've been learning as time has gone on is that God is less concerned with answering all our questions than he is with meeting us in a way that leaves us without question that he is God and that he loves us. There are many of us who, who want to have every sort of like question answered and every sort of thing lined up before we can say we believe in this God. And yet God's great, great sort of thing, if he would say like, hey, here's, here's the test, is he just wants you to realize that he is God and that he loves you. And that if you respond to that information, the rest is kind of gravy. It's whipped cream and cherry on top. 
But so many of us distract ourselves with all of these other questions. That's interesting, right? Sometimes I think we forget this. Nicodemus's, this moment with Nicodemus is the setup for arguably the most famous scripture of all time. And most scholars believe that this is probably the author, John, who is one of the apostles, who called himself the beloved apostle, which means either he just really wants you to know that he was super loved by God, or he's kind of like the youngest in their family like me, who constantly reminds everyone that their mom's favorite. Um, Although that's not true, JJ is. But that's besides the point. But the setup for this that we hear in John 3.16, right, and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In many ways, I love this is John's kind of commentary on the end of Nicodemus' encounter. Is hey, there are so many things that you want to know. There are so many things that you want to bring. And, and truthfully, if we boil it down, this is the important thing. Is that you, you would really know who Jesus is. Because when you really know who Jesus is, then you really know who you are. When you really know who you are, you begin to live in his will, in his way. And the truth is, is if we start at the starting point that Jesus truly is God, we begin to maybe take away the steps of like this, this phrase that I hear people say sometimes, where it's, I could never believe in a God that fill in the blank. I, I just don't know if I can follow him if fill in the blank. And there's this interesting piece of the culture and time and, and, and sort of day and age that we live in where um, it's sort of funny. Sometimes I feel like we have taken the God of all the universe, placed the stars in the sky, created us, gave us life, all this sort of stuff, and we, we sort of put him in like we're in like Judge Judy's courtroom and like we put him in the seat and like, can you answer this question for me? And it's interesting because our starting point still in many ways is our preference and our views of what is justice and truth and goodness. And yet it's wild, right? Because we've talked about gravity before, right? Gravity could care less about our feelings or our thoughts. If I throw an apple up in the air, gravity does not care if it's going to hit me. It's going to hit me. If I jump off a building, gravity is not going to say, ooh, he does not want to hit the ground there, so let me just stop this. And yet many of us, which the interesting thing is that God is kind to us, is the fact that many of us look at God like, hey, I know you're the God of all the universe, you set the stars, all this sort of stuff, but could we talk about this thing? Is this negotiable? Like maybe could we not do this piece of it? And yet there's, there's a huge piece that really we have to remember that faith requires that we follow with all, all of the answers and maybe without all the answers that we want. There's some people who I've realized that it's not so much that they wrestle with doubt, but they seek, and when they find the answers they don't like, they're like, well, maybe it's not real at all. Because some of it is we have tricked ourselves into thinking that we are the smartest person on earth. I've been guilty of that. There are times where like, I'll have these moments where I'm like, God, I thought of something you didn't. Let's have a powwow. I'll send you a Zoom link. And a big piece of faith, right, is what? Is the fact that I don't have all the answers all the time. That faith requires that I actually 
take a seat, take a step, and trust. Because to be honest, if I knew every single answer to every single thing, that wouldn't be faith. And if every sort of thing that I desired to be true was true of God, guess what? I would have not be worshiping the one true God. I would be worshiping a God that I've created not in uh, his true image, but in my image. You know, it's the deep irony of, of how the enemy works, right? Is that we were created in God's image with the idea that we would reflect his image, his goodness, his characteristic. And yet many of us seek out God hoping that he will be more made into our image. And that's not the way that it works. You see, when we encounter Jesus, we, again, don't have to have all of our questions answered. And Jesus may not answer every question, but he will give us everything that we need to know. That is something that I've experienced in my own life that is true. There are moments where I may not have the answer to every single question. Now, I should be really clear with you guys. I'm talking about the small things. Because it's... Humanity, sometimes we, we take what we believe should be the biggest issue, and if we're really honest, it's not the biggest issue. I'm not talking about the truth of Jesus is the one and only Son of God, that he is the way, the truth, and the light. I'm not talking about anything outside of that. I'm talking about there are moments where things have happened in my life that I say, why did this happen? I don't understand this. There have been people who have died deaths that I know that I'm like, that, that's not fair. This doesn't make sense. There are questions that people ask me about you know, specifics about heaven that I honestly can't answer with clear. I, I, I don't know exactly every bit of what it's going to look like. I know Jesus is going to be there, and that's about good enough for me. Will there be coffee? I hope so. Please. But I know that Jesus gives me exactly what I need. All right, quickly, one, one, one last story. There's this guy in the Bible named Thomas also known as Didymus. He is one of Jesus' 12 original disciples. And I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him because uh, it's a classic thing where you know, someone did one thing one time and then gets a bad nickname. Everyone tends to call him Doubting Thomas, yet Scripture never calls him that, which I also think is ridiculous because there are actually probably people in the Bible who doubted more than Thomas. I mean, have you read the Psalms with David? Like, that guy had issues, And yet he's known as a man after God's own heart. We see all sorts of people. Think about Peter. Peter doubted. Peter also cut a guy's ear off, but we don't call him, you know, old slicer Peter. And yet Thomas has this one encounter. Yet throughout Scripture, the, the moments that we see Thomas, he oftentimes is saying what no one else wants to say, which I appreciate. He's oftentimes stating the things that no one else wants to say. At one point, he is the one disciple who's basically saying, like, yep, we're going to Jerusalem with Jesus and going to die with him. He's, he, he, he's the truth teller in the room. And so this is, this is the, the, the setup. This is post Jesus' death, and this is uh, into the resurrection time. And it says this. Now Thomas, this is uh, John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, there's a moment where Jesus appears to some of the di disciples. And by the way, it actually says in there, some still doubted when they saw him. Sometimes I think we just assume like, well, if I was there and I could see it, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. But it says this, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were 
and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Now again, I don't know about you, there's question marks about was he being incredibly literal? Was he kind of speaking with some, some hyperbole? I mean, we all exaggerate at times, right? Like where we say something like, I'm so hungry, I could die, which feels true at times. But we don't know exactly, but, 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 but he states this. He states this, right, that um, I, I, I need some proof, guys. I need some evidence. And it's really easy, again, because we're like, ha-ha, doubting Thomas. It's really easy for us when we know the end of the story, we, we've experienced things, to, to, to kind of pick on him. And yet, I'll, I'll be real with you, I probably would have been a Thomas. I probably would have been like, show me the receipts, homie. Let me feel, let me see you. Because if we remember, all the disciples, except for the ladies, didn't go to the tomb initially. They thought it was done. They thought it was over. But then it says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. By the way, what a baller move, by the way, to just flex on the fact that you're the son of God and you can do cool things. It says, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out, out your hands and put it into my sides. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I love the posture of Jesus. Because what's interesting is he's Jesus. He knows everything, Right? How easy would have it been for him to just do like his cool move? I snuck in there and be like, hey, Thomas, you're out, man. You didn't believe. Loser. Get out. It would have been so easy. Or it would have been so easy for him to like in a condescending tone be like, oh, I heard you wouldn't believe unless you dry this out. Ha-ha. But what does he do? He meets his questions and his doubts with compassion. And kindness. To me, when I read this, it's, it, it's a, you need a little help? Go for yourself. And when he says, stop doubting and believe, to me, it's a kind invitation. It's not a demeaning demand. It's a kind invitation to say, listen, in my kindness, I've given you what you need now. Stop doubting and believe. Then it says, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now again, Jesus pronounces this blessing upon those who would have faith without that evidence. But that's a blessing upon them, not, a, not an admonishment or a curse upon those who doubt. But I love this story because one of the things that gets lost in the midst of this is the fact that Thomas's story does not end with his doubt. Thomas is invited in to wrestle with and experience the doubt, to allow God to answer the questions, but in particular, he answers them with his presence and with his kindness. And I wonder how many people who wrestle with doubts, if they were met with kindness and compassion, with grace and opportunity to explore, how might their stories be different than those who say, well, if I can't believe in this thing or no one wants to give me an answer, 
I guess let's just get a bulldozer and take it down. I wonder how many people would continue to believe. Thomas's story is incredible to me because it doesn't end there. Thomas actually goes on to be arguably the most impressive of the disciples in terms of being a missionary. The guy makes it all the way to like India. And he goes, he goes on quite a few things. He eventually dies as a martyr. And it's a pretty incredible story. Again, no one calls him Thomas the missionary. They call him Downing Thomas. But it's a reminder that our stories don't have to end with things like that. Um, let me wrap up a, a few things here for us. Here, 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 here's a couple things I want us to learn from today about doubt and following Jesus. Uh, Jesus isn't afraid or offended by our questions or our doubts. To be honest, Christians are probably, we sometimes are worse at that than Jesus is. We get offended if our kids might ask a question about God that God is not offended by. And to be honest, it takes courage to share our doubts. I think one of the things is, is if we don't create good environments where people feel like it's safe to, to, to air out their doubts, they're just going to hold on to them. And kind of like a secret sin, it's just going to fester. We have to get things out into the air. Again, I shared a quote from him earlier, but A.J. Swoboda said this, to struggle with one's faith is often the surest sign that we actually have one. To actually struggle through and ask these questions doesn't show that we lack faith. It shows that we're actually processing through. So if you have a kid, a grandkid, a friend, a coworker who is dealing with those things, see this as an opportunity that they have faith and walk with them as they go through it. Again, Thomas goes on and do, does incredible things. In the book of Jude, it says this, be merciful to those who doubt. If Jesus is merciful to those who doubt, if Jesus takes the questions that people have seriously, walks through them with them with kindness and love, we can too. And so I'll, I'll leave us with, with three final thoughts. The first one is just this. Um, we all have problems, pain, and puzzles that only the presence of God can give us peace about. There are things where you will not have a good, clean, beautiful answer to every question because we live in a broken, fallen world where there is death and destruction and cancer and all sorts of things that I wish were not true, that someday when Jesus finally returns in all of his glory, he will make all things new and there will be no more mourning and crying or pain. But until that day, there still is. And it doesn't mean that God is not there. It does not mean that God does not care. But I do promise in the midst of all of those things, if we will just lean into his presence, we will find peace. We may not find every answer we want, but we will find peace. And that's enough. Second thing is, is, is this. Most of us need an encounter with Jesus more than we need an answer from Jesus. Oftentimes, I have found in my own life, sometimes it's easy to allow my doubts and my questions to be a distraction from just actually spending time with Jesus. In fact, one of my worries that I struggle with in, in my life of faith sometimes is I don't want to be someone who knows a ton about Jesus but doesn't know him intimately. I don't want someday when I get to the pearly gates to be like, I'm part of the Jesus fan club. Let me spit off all these, these facts. And them to be like, hey man, he says you're not on the list. He doesn't really know you. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And for many of us, that might be true, that some of us need to seek encounter with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, 
for me, the reason why ultimately I continue to follow the way of Jesus, to trust the Bible, to believe in all of these things is because I have had radical encounters with Jesus that I cannot explain away, and I can't fully understand. And so ultimately, I choose to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And here's the last thing as Pastor Cole is going to come out and close us in one more song. Um, we don't need to know the answer to every question to trust and follow Jesus. We just need to know that he is God, that he is good, and he does love us. If we understand the answers to those questions, we'll be good. Of course, it's important and good to wrestle with the questions we have. Of course, there are things that we need to deal with. Of course, theology, all of those sort of things matter. But at the end of the day, what really matters is encountering Jesus and allowing him to transform us. Allowing him to really answer the main question that all of us wrestle with is, who am I? Does my life matter? Am I all alone? And once we realize that God is good even though we're not, and that God has come near even though we didn't deserve it, and that we are invited to new life that we couldn't have on our own, everything changes. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to pray and we're going to sing one last song? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fact that you are a God who is um, not frustrated when we have all these questions, who doesn't just cast us aside, that you are a God who gives us so many chances and who also invites us into the journey of faith, which is one that takes a lifetime, which is one that has its twists and turns. Uh, but Father, we are grateful for the fact that you are solid and steady, that you are a firm foundation that we can trust. And so Father, I pray that if some of us in this room uh, have doubts this morning about your goodness, Father, I pray that they would encounter your presence in this moment, in the days ahead, in a way in which they may not be able to fully articulate it or explain it but they would know that you are God and that you are good and that they are loved. Father, as we sing this song, um, would you speak to us in any way you want to speak to us? And would you give us the courage uh, to surrender and follow you? To Jesus' name I pray, amen.